Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelley Janeja. The series is for healthcare leaders and organizations navigating the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of our healthcare industry. And boy, has that been more true for us for the exceptional year we've just had and the new one we're beginning. Our goal in the series is to bring to you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations leveraging our experience and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and other questions that might be top of your mind. With that, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Dan Marino, Managing Partner at Lumina and an industry thought leader for value-based care. Dan, In the past few weeks, as we have kicked off 2021 and done our podcast, I've been particularly enjoying discussing top trends we anticipate for 2021. We've talked about the increase in value-based care contracting, how, you know, with the change in fee-for-service reimbursements, organizations are sort of being nudged even more strongly towards value-based care. We've seen the the rise in the utilization and adoption of telehealth, especially as it made it through last year, and organizations as they have really come up with different and new strategies to manage costs and manage their bottom line. Uh, We're starting to see some new trends emerge and we've talked about some of those in our past episodes. What I'm particularly excited about today is taking a deeper dive into the trends, but looking through the lens of a clinically integrated network, because that has some its own unique needs on demand. So your thoughts on what you are seeing be top of mind for CIN leadership as we move into 2021? Well, you, you touched on it. Clinically integrated networks are a wonderful vehicle of strategic partnerships for organizations to start to really align with their providers. It does a couple of things. One, it positions a health system, hospitals, employed physicians, independent physicians, it positions them in such a way that they can really succeed as we succeed under value-based care as we move into more contracting opportunities. But what it also does is it provides a vehicle to help manage costs and create efficiencies and also allow collectively the network to track quality for all of the patients that they begin to manage. It positions a lot of particularly independent physicians much better for success as they start to navigate through these new challenges that undoubtedly we're going to see in 2021. And, you know, the point you made is we've talked about the the challenges of the trends in 2021 from ambulatory service providers from independent providers, but CIN being a collective of healthcare organizations and independent providers, I think positions them to in a unique position on how they operationalize various programs or how they leverage data even to manage costs. And particularly for the independent providers, independent providers, one, don't have let's say the economic wherewithal to invest in the right level of capability to truly succeed under a value-based contract. They really do have to partner and leverage the technologies, leverage care management, just be part of a larger network 
to truly create efficiencies and to manage through that those cost structures. The other thing that it does, it provides opportunity for growth. It provides opportunities for new revenue streams under value-based contracting. It provides opportunities to say, leveraging billing and collection services for improved revenue. So taken all together, clinically integrated networks provide not only an intrinsic value, but real measurable value that can directly drive financial performance for both independent medical groups, independent providers, as well as the health systems. So with that said, Shelley, I'm really excited about our guests today. They are a large clinically integrated network based in the Midwest. They have approximately 2,000 providers, 56% of which are independent. This organization has done a wonderful job on creating a lot of capabilities to support their employed physicians, their independent providers, and they really have seen quite a bit of growth over the last couple of years. I'm particularly excited to be joined today by Dr. Troy Tyner. Dr. Tyner is chairman of the board of the CIN, as well as the Network Quality Medical Director, and also joined today by Aaron Valero. Aaron is the Director of Operations for the Clinically Integrated Network. Both have been there for quite some time. Welcome, Dr. Tyner. Welcome, Aaron. Very happy to have you with us today. Thanks for having us. Dr. Tyner, maybe we could start with you real quick. As I was looking through some of the materials, and, and I am familiar with, with your organization, what really struck me was some of the things that you've done to help your your, your network of providers succeed in 2020. It was certainly a challenging year. And, and I think three things really stood out for me. One uh, is how you helped your provider network make that transition into virtual care with telehealth, with telemedicine technology, that was one. I think second is some of the work that you've continued to do with some contracting, particularly supporting the organization through value-based contracting. I think that was, that was another. But third, and probably the most important and, and really one of the most impressive is the things that you have done to financially been able to support the independent practices and helping them create a robust business structure. So it seems like as these independent practices are now are heading into 2021, they're in a pretty good financial position to really, you know, deal with some of these challenges that we're undoubtedly going to see in this next year? Yes, I mean, certainly our success that we've been having has not been just overnight. It's really building one step at a time, building blocks for that success. I think it really it all started back really all the way in the 1990s when we started our physician hospital organization, which was not a CIN. But it was still, it was the first time that you had physicians and hospitals working together in an organization. And then we had to figure out value. What brings value to the hospital? What brings value to the practices? And so we just started doing layer after layer of different services, different concepts that would help private practice. I'm in private practice. I have 24 providers and I don't have a foundation behind me to, to pick up or infuse cash into my bottom line. I have to make it happen. And so we've taken the entrepreneurship of private practices and then just expanded that across every step of the way a practice needs to perform well with. So then when the need for a CIN uh, occurred, driving quality, and I'm the quality network medical director, it was like second nature that we build then a CIN together to do that quality journey 
and now go towards the CIN so we can truly negotiate with one voice for all the providers as well as for the hospitals. When you were going through the early days of, of the journey, you had mentioned you were a PHO. I'm, I'm assuming you were a messenger model PHO. You know, talk a little bit about how you started to engage the independent providers into more of a culture of quality, of collaboration, opposed to, you know, independent physician practices, right? Because frankly, that's what PHOs are. And the traditional PHO model is, you know, a number of independent practices that sort of come together. Can you talk a little bit about that, that transformation? When you're trying to develop a team and bringing people forward, they have to feel that you can bring success to them as well. What is the value added? So with the PHO, we started out with some basic messenger model contracts, which were really pretty lucrative, but they were small potatoes. There was not big volume. But then what we started to do was we did educational programs. Where is the market going? What do you need to do to be successful? We had seminars for that as well. But also we looked at what other needs do you have for your practice? So we worked towards group purchasing programs to decrease the cost of doing business. You need printers. Okay, guess what? We have a vendor that will provide printers. You need faxes. You need telephone systems. Every step of the way, whatever you need, we are the toolbox for your success. And so when you, when you start saving them money, and so their bottom line, their cost structure is less, that brings value to them as well. Then on the other flip side, when you're doing quality awards for doing good quality, and then because we cannot do a NERMAN or referral and things like that, you have different ways that you can reward the physicians and show that they're doing high quality. So a good example, uh, which we don't do much anymore, but was very big was health grades and quality awards. And so you can't say to the community, look at this surgeon, he's great or she's great and publish their name. But what we did was we did a big screen or a big page ad in the newspaper with the, the team that caused us to get the five-star award. And then we took that and then we got it framed. And then when we did a staff meeting with all the referring doctors at the staff meeting, we had a photographer down below with the president of the hospital bringing the surgeons down in front of all the referring doctors, congratulating them, handing them a beautifully framed picture of this award. And then the photographer click, click, click and flashing lights and the glitterazzis congratulating them. And then we would put a billboard up with the team again. So when you were driving out to a community, the patient it. would see the, the team and, oh, look, there's my surgeon. Oh, look, there's my pulmonologist. Oh, yeah, look, there's great. my cardiologist. So, so that, you do that a few times, that creates, hey, they're onto right. something. They're promoting me, but not really promoting me. They're promoting quality. And uh, it's all legal. And, uh, but developed a sense of, hey, we have the message, we have a, a process to be the toolbox. And so that's how we then continue to develop it over the years. Right. Well, you know, you, you, you clearly have developed the infrastructure, you develop, you clearly developed the toolbox, but you started to move the culture. 
and you move the culture towards quality in a way that you know providers really started to see the value of it. And I think, boy, I, I love your example of, of the quality awards. Um, physicians became recognized on that. And yeah. I think that's, that's tremendous. The other thing that I think it does too is it starts to position the network, the physicians for really the, the true financial value of quality. And, you know, I've, I've worked with numerous CINs and physicians even, you know, as they started to get into clinically integrated networks. And one of the, the common questions that comes from physicians is, well, okay, well, this sounds great and intuitively I can't argue with it, but where's the financial value? Where's the financial opportunity? And you have to tie it into some level of a contract you know, maybe Aaron, you might want to bring you into the yeah. conversation. How did you start with engaging physicians in some level of contracting or some level of pay for performance type of a structure? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's a phased in approach and having them understand really what um, what's in it for them. And Dr. Tyner is great at that. And, you know, the physician engagement piece is huge. Um, having them understand as an independent practice you know, what it, what's in it for them? If you, if you ask Dr. Tyner here um, or, or, or any of the physicians that are out there in the community that are still independent, when you talk about the sheer amount of people that come in and out of your practice every day, whether that's reps, vendors, local health systems that have uh, different liaisons that touch base, there's a lot of weeds. And so sorting through that and actually being a value add to our groups is where we started. You know, what are your needs? What can we offer that is actually not noise, but rather it, it gets to the point. And so we, we have a structure in place today that allows our groups to customize how they participate with us. And so they can, they can be fully integrated with us and, and go into a lot of our value-based contracts, or they can hold back and pull the reins and participate on incentive only or upside only type agreements. And so my approach and dealing a lot with the, the physician relation piece of this is what I found is the most successful is obviously phasing into that um, and taking and pacing at, the, at a pace that is acceptable to the physicians that are in the practice, right? Um, the worst thing that can happen is you start to get too integrated in something that not everyone is bought into. And so I think that's where we've done well over the years is we really allow the physician-led piece to drive where we're going. Yeah. Well, and it's so important because it's not a one size fits all, right? There's, there's no cookie cutter approach on this. So, you know, it's, it's a journey and, and Dr. Tyner, you, you've said this time and time again, it's a right. journey you have to go through on shifting the thinking of the practices of the prior providers and of the payers as well too. Right. And as we start to all come together, you start to achieve the successes, both from a quality patient care, and then a financial perspective. Well, I'll have to give you an example of where sometimes it is luck and timing. And a few years back, we were able to uh, access a CMS grant for education. And we were able to use those funds to, to use for any of the private practices and even the employed practices that wanted to have a quality improvement expert to embed themselves into your practice and bring your practice forward because MIPS and macro was coming down the pike. And we were educating, well, you need to get ready for MIPS. You need to get ready for macro. 
Okay, and the doctors say, well, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna do this? Well, we have the answer. We got, we got a CMS grant. And they said, what do you mean CMS grant? Well, it's free money. You pay taxes, you're gonna get rewarded with this free money for education. And they have a process. We're gonna work you through it over the next three years so that you will be ready for MIPS and MACRA. And we had 88 practices sign up and over 200, I think 256 physicians participated. And we, we initially measured everyone what their skill set was on a scale of one to five. One, I, would, I put them down at the Neanderthal level. They were dragging their knuckles. They were just doing the same stuff that we've did for decades. Five would be Ascension beans. They know everything. They're ready for total risk, be an HMO. Well, nobody was a five. Right. The vast, vast majority were ones. And over the, 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 the three years of this grant, we raised everybody first to level two, then to level three. And by the time we finished it, they were all at a level four and nobody had a penalty and everybody had increase in revenue. And we estimated it was over $8,000 of additional revenue to our private practices. And so they said they could see for themselves that they improved and they got the financial reward for their hard work uh, and nobody got penalties. Right. And of, course, and of course, we announced that across our scape wherever we could because it was excess of the private practices and the employed practices. So saying we can do this and build them confidence and also confidence in the structure of the CIN that we have, and I don't like to use this term because everybody uses it, but we have your back. We're always out there scoping for opportunities, scoping out for dangers, what's lurking out there was opportunities that we are always there for you. Yeah. Well, and I, I would add to that, Dr. Tyner, and just say there's two things that I think that I would summarize what you just said is, one, it takes us, um, the, the approach that we have found that, that works best is looking at the whole ecosystem and the whole healthcare sector as needing healthy independent practices. Right. Um, you yeah. need those practices to be as healthy as possible to help carry the vision of where the whole ecosystem is going. And the second thing is trust. Um, when you can create things out of, you know, Dr. Tyner mentioned some of the grant, grant dollars we've got, um, and we've been able to go help some of these practices. Um, when that earns trust of that level, um, you know, you're talking about shifting people and preparing them for what the future of healthcare is asking us. And so you, you develop a sense of trust there. Right. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I particularly... You know, it seems to me you took a two-pronged approach, right? You built your infrastructure to support the independent practices. And, and Aaron, if it's right into what you were talking about, you know, you, that, that goes a long way towards building the trust factor. But the education piece is so critical because what it allows you to do is, is really think about shifts in culture from that, you know, that fee-for-service mentality to one of more collaboration, one of more outcomes. And it helps also to support the trust factor because physicians, independent physicians in particular, feel like, you know, they're going to feel like, well, I'm not just doing this by myself, right? I'm busy enough. I can't possibly succeed in this. They're giving me the tools or giving me the ability to succeed. And I, I can see how that would go a long way. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, a good example we just had recently 
just last two weeks of COVID. And we, you know, we have, we, we don't go out and drum, beat the drums continuously because everybody's on their treadmill, working hard, taking care mm -hmm. of patients. But we knew that there was a need to get your offices vaccinated. And in our community and our network, we were able to access properly uh, COVID vaccines for our office staffs, independent office staffs as well. And as a matter of fact, I think it was on a Wednesday that we got notified at 12 noon and we got together real quickly with Teams or Zooms and we crafted a letter. And that late afternoon, Aaron sent it out and we gave all the practices a deadline. We must know who wants to participate by 12 noon the next day. Wow, that's great. <laughs> and, really pushing them for a decision. And, but nonetheless, you've got the resource there, right? Yeah. And by 12 noon the next day, we had over 100 practices responding, not just say, yes, we want to, but with their names and their yeah. identification and what criteria. And then uh, ultimately, we uh, vaccinated, was it over 700 of our independent office staffs? But literally within 12 hours, we had it done. Now, that is turnaround. And I can't tell you, those practices are appreciative that we had their back. We're watching out for them. And as we go forward with this quality and value and training and contracts and taking, starting to take risks, that we really are, we have a competent organization. Yeah. I, and I think, Dan, another part that you had mentioned was just that, that trust factor. And I always go back to that because I, I do think it's, uh, you know, I, there's no secret sauce to the future of healthcare, as we all know. We've We've been in it for a while, and um, but that piece is is such a key piece. And when you talk about um, you know value-based contracts that we're negotiating on behalf of a lot of these independent practices, um, with with not a lot of purview into those processes until the contracts are complete, obviously. Um, and so you know that takes that takes a level of trust when you're talking about revenue streams and and just participation. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And you know it is scary moving into some of these performance-based contracts. And, you know, especially as more and more of the reimbursement is going to be tied to performance, eventually tied to risk. Um, it's scary for independent practices, right? This is their livelihood. They can't afford to make a mistake. So, you know, again, building that foundation of trust, building that that foundation of the infrastructure, I think has to really give a lot of confidence to your providers right. that you're gonna succeed and hey, we're gonna be okay as we navigate through these challenges in 2021. Right, I think also to reiterate, and it's a message that doctors forget and staffs forget, but what is the structure of our organization? From the get-go, it was a physician-led, physician-driven organization and on the board, we had nine positions, three administrators. And of those nine positions in our operating agreement, five must be independent. Yeah, that's great. That's great. It gives a real voice to that independent yeah. provider, right? And it really allows their what, what they're feeling and what's occurring within their practice to really come out within the conversation and the decision-making. Right. And on the five committees below that, a board, the only ones that are allowed to vote on 
on uh, policies and procedures and contracts are physicians. Then it goes to the board. And so all those policies and procedures and contracts are voted on by the board and the majority are independent on the board. And so I can't tell you how many times when people say, well, how do you know this is gonna work, Troy? So, well, I don't have a foundation behind me. I have to make this work for my own practice. Right, yeah. And, and, and so I, yeah, I'm not gonna to vote to tank my own practice. So, and the other independents are not gonna to vote to tank their own practice. So we have to make it work. And so we, we do our due diligence and that, that, that resonates. Talk for a few minutes about physician leadership. Um, you know, clearly, Dr. Tyner, you've, you know, I can tell you provide some, some strong leadership to the network. Talk in terms of what you've built in the organization um, around physician leadership, but really how you've translated that those leadership requirements back to the independent practices. You know, as, as a network, right, you can have the best physician leaders in the world, but if that doesn't translate well to what's occurring within leadership in the practice, it's going to be hard for you to make some progress. Talk a little bit in terms of, of how you built those leadership expectations. Well, I think the leadership is more than just the physicians. I mean, as we go through medical school, we get zero training on leadership. We get zero business training. Uh, and residency, same way. So for most physicians, it's it's on the streets. You learn you learn it on the yeah. street. Learn as you go, go, right? <laughs> exactly. But you also have medical assistants and office managers. And so we have a routine process every month where we have educational seminars for our office managers, lunch and learns, breakfast and learns. So we then address specific issues in regards to coding. MIPS and MACRA on uh, podcasts, or how do you use social media to uh, enhance your practice? So we always have skill sets that we're training people that are for free. We then have our practices participate. Then we also have for us, uh, for our physicians, we have our educational programs for quality. And so like tonight, I have a, a, a Zoom meeting for our private practices. We're going to go over our quality numbers. We're going to talk about quality, wellness visits, et cetera, things that we need to do to be successful. Now they've already been educated with this again. The MIPS and macro training that we did a few years back is just adding another layer, another building block, reinforcing that on top of that as well. We've also been very fortunate. The physicians that have stepped forward. I have a degree in business but we also have multiple other physicians that have their MBAs or other degrees in business as well. So that allows us to have a different slant. Now, when I say a slant, that also builds relationships with the hospital administrators and the CFOs. Because I look at physicians that have, are able to have one foot in both sides. They have that universal translator. They can take business speak and try and translate it over into doctor speak. And then doctor speak over to administrative speak so that we are all on the same page because we all come from different locations. You know, a good example, my, one of my brothers an architect. He talks to me about beams and joists and rafters. It's like, I have no idea what no you're idea. talking about. So I need that universal translator with my brother. So yeah. Same thing here. I think we've developed a skill set where we have physician leaders 
with business acumen and leadership training in that business acumen, being able to talk administrative speak, but at the same time, then going back from the administrative speak, going to our colleagues and translating to doctor speak. So I think that is an important concept. Yeah, a very important concept. And I think one that's you know unique, I think you've, you've been able to really identify that opportunity to align the conversations and, and so, sort of set that expectation um, around both the, the clinical speak or the doctor speak and then you know the, the business speak as well. Let's talk a little bit in terms of, of where you see the organization going into 2021. You know, there's, there's a, a lot of prognosticators that are, have talked about the trends that are gonna occur in 2021. Um, hopefully as we move past the pandemic, there'll be a lot of work, um, certainly on value-based contracting. I think a continued push and movement into telehealth, virtual health, a continued focus on increasing revenues, managing costs, and really positioning organizations for you know future financial success. You know, maybe we can start with you, Aaron. What are some of the things that you see are opportunities as you position the organization to support your providers moving into 2021? Yeah, I think one thing to note is I think what COVID did for us this past year is it really lit the lit the fuse to a lot of what we've already been doing and trying to press forward. So I'm hoping that a lot of this will expedite um, some of the push toward uh, change, right? Um, and so it, it shook up the jar, if you will. And so um, I, I'm hoping that as we move toward this year, I think it's critical um, that, that performance is going to be key here because there may be a lag with COVID that I don't think many, um, we don't really know about. Um, and so creating through our performance um, and, and having processes that, that lead to um, outcomes that are, um, whether that's contract-based, whether it's success, success through contracts or um, success through a lot of what we already mentioned, which is practice solutions and being able to manage costs, as you mentioned. So I think when we look at 2021, something that I know that I'm thinking about a lot daily is that cost perspective of how can we create or have um, a buffet, if you will, of solutions that are readily available to help uh, contain cost and, and manage the upcoming changes that, that we'll see as, as we head through this year. And then the other thing is just um, really, really honing in on our performance through our contracts. I know that Dr. Tyner really leads that, but I think this year more than ever is so important to rebound um, and move forward. And I don't know, I'll defer to you, Dr. Tyner, for um, other comments, but I think those are the, the big things for us. Um, and, and really continuing to engage uh, now more than ever, those physician leaders that you just mentioned, Dan, about how did, how did we do that? I think it's, we've got to engage them better this year or, or more this year than we ever have. Yeah, I see that because of, you know, just, just to work together to solve these issues, to, you know, to, to collaborate and, and to ensure that there's a level of success, particularly around the contracts, I think that becomes important um, and even more important as we move into 2021. Dr. Tyner, any thoughts on, from yep. your perspective? I think what everyone was saying, he said a, a buffet, I look at it as a deck of cards, you know, pick a card, any card, uh, because there's many different ways we can approach this. There's this, uh, and I forgot his name, is an old Marine general 
in Korea, where he was trying to give a pep talk to his, his, his soldiers. You know, they're surrounded by the enemy. And he said, we have them right where we want them. We can shoot in any direction. And uh, so I look at this the same way. We have them right where we want them. We have quality. We have uh, built uh, successes uh, one step at a time. Now we just need to keep on adding on to those successes. And so what we did, a big question everybody says, well, how do you know these contracts are any good? Well, we did a, uh, through, a through a FTC compliant survey, a fee schedule survey of all our members. Now we didn't get all our members, but we got over 30% of our members did this fee schedule survey with us, which was confidential through an accounting firm. And it showed, guess what? We're doing a very solid job at negotiating. Uh, which we had an idea we were because I'm in private practice. I can't tank, tank my practice. The, the finance committee doctors can't take, tank their practices either, but it verified that we were doing a fine job. But there's other things from a, from a cost savings, but also a revenue generator. When COVID hit, we again had the ear of our practices and we, uh, as a CIN, sent out immediately this is the vendor you ought to use. You can turn your practice immediately onto telehealth overnight, and here's how you code for it. And then we did webinars about telehealth and coding and compliance and how you do this. And literally we had, I would have to say our whole community uh, converted into telehealth within three or four days. So our practice is again, we gave them the resources, we educated them quickly, we did webinars for telehealth. But then you can go on. My practice, my poor office manager, you know, we're, I use my practice as guinea pigs, but we looked at our chronic care management program, which was just there. It wasn't like Aaron said, the COVID gave us uh, the burning platform. So my little practice, we went from about 200 or so patients on chronic care management to over 800 yeah. and that is number one from from a telehealth medicine but also from a coordination of care and prevention of readmissions and value but also as a revenue stream and so we were able to use that and now we have over 800 people on a chronic care management program and now we're going out into remote monitoring and essentially working towards hospital at home where you can have those resources and services, but I couldn't do that overnight. It took us a while to build that competency level up and comfort level of our patients, but also our office staff. Right, uh, absolutely. Dr. And, and Dr. Tanya, I think, and really uh, to go back to um, the root, I think of what you were asking about 2021. And for me, I see us and we, we meet with our payers on a monthly basis and um, even a quarterly basis um, and have different operating committees is continuing to fight for the practices that um, have had success with telehealth and there's, you know, help, helping them understand what, what out there in terms of our contract language that exists actually pertains to what they can do on those platforms and where they need to go with it in the future. You know, I think they, they need a clear understanding. And so uh, not that we're lobbyists of any sort, but I think being an advocate for them and speaking up for them. Well, and I commend you and um, your colleagues for doing that. You know, I've, I started my career in healthcare 
supporting independent practices I've and independent physicians and I've I'm passionate about that and it's it's really exciting to see what you all have done and you know as, as you said Dr. Tyner it's a journey um, but you know you certainly have seen the progress and continue to see the progress and in particular as you mentioned you know you've built that trust with providers in such a way that you know, they're going to be successful. Um, and so, you know, again, uh, I think it's exciting with, with what you've all accomplished. I want to thank you both today for, for coming on. And I'm sure our listeners enjoyed the conversation as, as much as I did. Thank you again. And love to have you all back sometime. Any last words or last pieces of advice you'd love to share for our audience? Keep the faith and keep on pushing forward. Yeah, I, I would add thanks, Dan, for what you guys do. I know that you're uh, um, a trusted resource out there and you guys have many years of experience. And so um, just really appreciate what you guys do. And, um, you know, if we're if we can be back on and we're a help to people, that's great. If, um, you know, if there's anything else and, you know, we're we're a call away. Great. Well, thank you again, Aaron. I appreciate that. Thank you very much, Dr. Tyner. Shelley, um, what a wonderful conversation. I'll tell you, this organization and these two leaders and, and their colleagues have done some, some wonderful things. And I think in particular, what struck me is how they built the trust of their providers, of their physicians, the infrastructure that they've built. And organizations like this um, is really what's going to help carry many providers into 2021 and ensure their success. Absolutely, Dan. It was pleasure to hear them talk about their commitment to building the trust um, through tapping into the culture and the value it's provided. Uh, it's not very often you see organizations make an intentional commitment to that and have the patience that it is a journey, it is a phased approach, not something that comes in overnight. And I'm sure that is almost a cornerstone of their success and their growth. So I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, we wanna thank our listeners for tuning into the Value-Based Care Insights podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina are your partners in the journey to value-based care and all the pivots and challenges our industry is going through. To learn more about us, visit us on luminahp.com if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Join us again, wherein we continue our deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with several of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we continue to navigate and thrive in the new normal. Until then, have a great day.